0: Welcome to it. This is the Way of Will podcast on this fine Wednesday morning, August the 28th. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Today we're going to cover a a few different things. And uh, it's been a couple of days since the first podcast. I've got to start building a better habit of how I'm going to do this going forward. I just remember that this podcast, as we go forward, we're presenting the American worldview. Uh, The worldview that was forgotten um, when its opportunities were there, as it uh, rose out of the founding of the country, uh, the Christian nation that built and formed this country, uh, the worldview of which created our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, uh, and formed a society that would, uh, over time, eventually become the country within which we live today. It's not being lived out today. Uh, We see a lot of American principles that are present, that are allowing our country to continue to thrive and to grow and to survive. Uh, But there are many things that have been tacked on to the uh, raw framework that the American worldview has established in in our society, and our economy. Uh, And this framework has been disassembled one little piece at a time over many, many years. Uh, Really the first hindrance to the American worldview was that slavery was brought into the country uh, by those who would uh, perceive other human beings as being less than human, uh, as not rating or deserving of life. That period of American history—it's not—it's not American history. It's the part of this country's history, because there's a difference between a nation and a country, as I described on the on the first episode. Uh, but it was something that our nation had to fight to remove from the country that the nation built Uh, and that took time and it took a a great deal of effort and it took a lot of lives. So post-Civil War was the time period where societal uh, and governmental processes were really established and set in place for the American worldview to begin to be lived out as people viewed all of humanity as equal in the eyes of God and the free economy, right? The natural economy was being allowed to grow and to expand. Uh, and during the time where men were bound by honor still and, and all of these ideals, um, there ended up becoming a transfer from Europe into the United States of an alternative collection of worldviews that started to become popularized in the United States as our intelligentsia the uh, not the elite intellectual class but just the influencers those who are influencers of things they're not the intelligentsia is not necessarily a leadership cast of a society, so much so as they are a, a grouping of individuals in society that come to be the influencers, individuals that people look to because they have the answers. Uh, at least to those people, they look to these men and women because they provide answers. And so our intelligen- intelligentsia in the United States went to Europe to be educated and to acquire their PhDs and their doctorates. And then they brought over the ideals from Germany, which was the intellectual epicenter of the world for a good couple of hundred years. Um, And so as that worldview came to the United States post-Civil War, we started seeing this clash of ideals for the United States now that we had cast out slavery uh, and united the nation post-Civil War, uh, and there became the world within which we live today. There's this struggle of one side versus another, both of which have American principles at their foundations, one of which is striving to continue those principles, but with certain changes to it. The other wanting to completely supplant the American worldview altogether and its foundations, uh, and replace it with something completely different. And So in between these two groups is those who hold to the American worldview, the patriots who love and cherish the principles and foundations upon which this country was built, and who strive to bring them back and so those of us who are true americans hold to this world view and we strive in all of our efforts to um, remove from our society and from our country those things which have been tacked on especially when it comes to government uh, to remove those things that are prohibiting the true American ideal from being able to be realized while upholding our values and, and, and who and what we are culturally uh, because that's what ultimately is necessary for the American ideal uh, to succeed. So as we talk about things and, and we discuss uh, the different events of life that are going on in the world today, Um, that's one thing that it's important to know this podcast is all about. It's not a a nationalist podcast, all right? We don't believe that America is the nation above all nations, uh, in a position of some, you know, made up hierarchy of nations of the world, all right? We're not, um, this isn't ethnic anything, um. You know, a nation has a, an ethnic identity and there is an American ethnic identity uh, that was grounded in those who were born and raised here uh, from the time of the founders to the present day and, and all their descendants. Um, but we're not nationalists in that sense where we put our nation above that of others and believe that we should force others either to be absorbed by our nation. Right, which is was the view of the National Socialists of Germany, also called the Nazis, they viewed their national identity as the supreme national identity and desire to force the world under their mold. Right? So the American worldview and, and this podcast is not a nationalist podcast. We, Americanism acknowledges nationalism as a form of the, the root of this concept, which is tribalism. And I can go over that in another day. But uh, Americanism rejects outrightly any notion of nationalism. But we see patriotism as one of the highest and greatest virtues. And again, patriotism is a love of nationhood, a love of who we are as a whole, as a country, as a people, as a shared identity that we have together in the American worldview. And we're willing to die to protect these principles, uh, these truths upon which this nation is built and we cherish them. We want to preserve them and pass them on to our children um, and desire for our children to to live in in the greatness that that these ideals form. And so that's where the understanding has to lie and what patriotism is. We desire for other nations to become like us freely, of their own free will. We want to share these foundations and these principles with the world so that they may live by them as well. And so that's what it means to be a patriot, uh, is that you cherish these things, and and you you hold them near and dear to your heart. So this is a, a podcast that is intended to preach to those who have the heart of a patriot, but who don't know or clearly understand or know how to articulate to the world today what those principles are that they so truly love and that they so truly cherish. Looking around the world, uh, after the weekend uh, and just kind of the first couple of days of this week, there's a a wide variety of events going on all over the world right now, right? So we've got our uh, trade war, what's being at least perceived to be a trade war uh, with China going on. Uh, President Trump has uh, put in place tariffs uh, for anything that comes from China or from certain other countries. And. These are called protective tariffs, all right? This is a economic ideal uh, that is very much not an American ideal. Um, and we'll go over that uh, to a certain degree uh, during the episode today. So the other things we've had going on, he's had the G7 summit uh, going on in France right now. And there hasn't been too much that I've seen uh, in the news. Um, just I primarily... You Twitter as my news feed and going through there with the different media outlets and uh, different talk show hosts. There really hasn't been a lot in the news about this event uh, and what is coming out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Trump's participation in it and the things that have been getting talked about and the way he's been interacting and working uh, with the members of the G7 summit and you know all these nations of the world that are uh, you know, supposed to be the top dogs and all that kind of thing, and, and really are. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things kind of pan out. Uh, I may actually watch some of the main news media uh, over the coming days just to see how it's being portrayed. Um, we also have things like the war in Afghanistan. It's still going on, but you don't hear anything about it. And for me, that's, that's a, a very sensitive touch point uh being uh i was a marine for 10 years and i served in both iraq and afghanistan and uh it's really upsetting to me that we're we're not fully out of afghanistan already we won that war like three times over Uh, we've we've defeated the taliban several times um and if we as a as a nation are not eager and willing to completely wipe them out by invading pakistan then there's no reason for us to continue to be in Afghanistan. We will not be able to completely eradicate that threat if the people of the nation are not willing to go into Pakistan and wipe out the enemy there because that's where they are housed up and they know how to work all of this stuff uh, and how things work across that border. And unless we're willing to go there and wipe them out, we have no reason to continue to have our troops there. So we need a withdrawal and call it a day. Um, there's, there's only so much winning we can do uh, before it's kind of like, okay, it's time to move on with our lives. Let them deal with their own stuff so they ever threaten us again. Well, we know what to do now, right? Um, so with all these things, I figured I would cover some of these subjects right now and kind of present the American worldview on these particular subjects uh, just because there really hasn't been a whole lot else going on in the news media. Uh, there's been some conversation Uh, continuing about gun control uh, after the last shootings that have occurred. um, Ever since Las Vegas, this has become an even more significant and prevalent issue in the news. Uh, It has been one of the bigger conversation points. Um, There was the school in Florida that was hit uh, by someone who came in and, and killed several students. That event was still very uh, strong in people's minds. There was a recent shooting in El Paso. There is several other events that have occurred, and and there's the comments on, on the rise of white supremacy in the United States. So this one bothers me more than anything, because people are trying to tie white supremacy to the conservative movement, and they're trying to pin it on the Republican Party which is the closest thing to the last place of hope for the conservative movement. And they're, trying to, they're really trying to pin racism uh, onto President Trump, onto Republicans, onto anything that represents in their minds the American ideal. They are trying so ardently to tack on this concept of white supremacy or white nationalism Primarily because it's their best tactic that they have. The anti-fascist movements, this Antifa group uh, that's out there and has been doing attacks and riots. This group is basically an outcropping of the old Occupy Wall Street movement uh, under the early Obama years. And we see the Democrats treating them with kick gloves the same way they did the Occupy Wall Street movement. Uh, You know, history repeating itself is is definitely something that is going on, but these popular uprisings, and that's really what they are, aren't as big or significant as social media has a tendency to play them up to be. However, it's important to realize that though the left cries wolf pretty much as of late, um, their abuse of the term terrorism, Trying to apply that to any mass shooting that is done by a white guy for racial reasons. Oh, all of a sudden now that's terrorism. And the only reason why they're doing that is because they want to make CARE happy and the Islamic groups happy uh, to start calling some other group that isn't Muslim terrorist. Uh, you know, white supremacy, white nationalists that have been committing these crimes, these mass murders have been terrible. They're horrible human beings, but they are not an organized group attempting to use the tactic of terror of the public to force the will, their will upon the government to make changes and to bring about laws that, that are in line with their ideals. These individuals are psychopaths that have been swayed by the white supremacist, national, uh, white nationalist ideals that are available on the Internet. They've been radicalized, to believe it. And it's because of that fact that these things do not qualify as being called terrorism. They are mass murders in the event the actor is intended on killing as many people as possible that's what a mass murder is it's not a for example there's the other form of, of murder where there's large numbers killed is that it's an incident where the actor is targeting a specific individual or a specific group of individuals and by specific i mean that they're targeting names and in the process of attempting to target those named people those, the, you know, the, the actor doesn't do it right, and it turns into a disaster. The individuals that they wanted to kill, uh, they try to, and they miss, and they end up hitting bystanders, and it becomes a mass shooting. But it was not the intention of the actor to do so. The actor had a specific target in mind, but in the process of engaging that target, the actor ended up killing others in the process. And then there are, you know, individual murders, of course, that happen where there's a specific individual person that is being engaged and in the process of engaging that person. Others are injured. So these are the things. And, and to call the second class where the actor was intending to uh, specifically kill a specific person right, to commit murder against a specific individual. But in the process, they kill others as they try to kill that one person. That should not fall under the same category as a mass murder. And when you organize the data of all the situations that have occurred out there into these particular categories, it adjusts the numbers in a more rational manner. And it allows us to get to the root of the problem. These events are not acts of terrorism. These are acts of mass murder. Uh, The most recent one that happened in El Paso, the, the intention of that shooter was to go and simply kill as many people as possible. Now, one can say and argue he was targeting a specific group because the claim that was made is that he was going after a specific race of people. So at that point, one can argue that it's a specific group that he was targeting. However there wasn't named individuals, right? He wasn't going after Charlie, Joe, and Sue. He was just simply going after a goal of killing as many people as possible. So that falls into the category of a mass murder. But it does not fall into the category of terrorism because terrorism is a category of mass murder where there are people who are killed, named, or injured by some act for the purpose of forcing the hand of the government to do the will of that person. That is what is an act of terrorism. And it's a part of an organized group. It's not just a, a lone wolf act that you know everybody likes to talk about, the lone wolf stuff. The lone wolf stuff isn't terrorism, unless it is a lone wolf actor acting under the general order of an actual terrorist organization as radicalized over the internet, at which point he is acting under the order of that terrorist organization. And he is acting with the intent of bringing about the will of that terrorist organization against the government by killing other people. Or the intent of that political organization is genocidal. They want to wipe out people who do not believe or think or who are not the same as they are so they, they are a race, racist or, or bigoted organization as a terrorist organization. And their goal is to go out there and kill as many of those types of people as they can. Then it would fall into the ideal of terrorism. If it's, a part of, it's, it's an organized group acting to terrorize the public, that's the thing right there where people get things confused. Because he's a white nationalist, and because the view of the left is that white nationalists want to kill all the colored people, okay? they want to refer to these events as terrorism. That's just simply not the case. These are cases of, of mass murders. These individuals are of a, a belief system, a psychotic one, and they're trying to act out the, the darker desires of their hearts and using that, white nationalist worldview uh, and religious belief um, as a means of excusing their want, their bloodthirst, right? So all of these events that are going on, all the stuff that's happening, uh, it, it's all pretty serious things. So I figured I would cover a couple today from the American perspective, uh, just, to, just to apply it in a couple of circumstances here and kind of give a feel of how... Uh, these podcasts will go into the future. So let's begin with President Trump in in general, uh, because as this podcast goes and people listen to the first episodes, there's. Going to be a, a trend towards people trying to um portray the show as being a sycophant uh sycophantic show of trump and um trying to plug in the show with that white nationalist ideal now here's the reason why i as the podcast host am a white christian male Uh, And I'm straight. And I was born in America. And. All of that together. Makes me into a bad guy. Plus, I have a good income. Um, My family and I are well off. So all of that together. Puts me into the bad guy category. For the anti-American left. Trump is not in line with the American worldview uh, in the sense of the ideal man or the ideal behavior of man and what that looks like. So, um, you know, I'm doing this podcast while I'm driving, so I'm a little distracted sometimes. So what do I mean by that? What in the world am I trying to say, right? Trump is the ideal modern man. Right? The, he is a spitting image of the typical uh, citizen of the United States who is a guy uh, who professes a belief in God but is not a practicing Christian. Um, he, his personality, his attitude, all that stuff is very in sync with the Gen X uh, and the millennial mentality. He's a cynical guy. He likes to talk in satire. Uh, He's vulgar. He doesn't care about tradition. Uh, He's very, uh, he's a business savvy guy or at least he portrays the image of being a business savvy guy. And so he speaks to The modern man, the modern American male, stereotyped and what people popularly perceive. He is a popular uh, identity, a character. Uh, He's a celebrity in, in the fullest sense of that term. And if you look at his record and his history, he bounces back and forth from one political side to the next. So he is not representative of anything in particular except for the idea that is in the hearts of so many people of American greatness. We went through eight years of a president and an administration that just trashed who and what we are as a, as a people in the United States of America, and it's a shame. And the people just got tired of it, just constantly being berated by media and popular entertainment, and everything else, just calling us a bunch of racists and bigots, and that we're a terrible people, and that we cause evil all over the world. That is what we had to hear and deal with every day, and we still have to deal with it, probably even more now that Trump has been elected uh, to this very day. And we're just sick of it. And so Trump spoke to the people in the right way in order to to harness that view. Now, to his credit. He has been a moldable person and the conservative movement is what began to mold him. But he's too strong a, a personality to be fully molded by somebody else. But he took on the mantle of what we want to have happen like by force, right? And so he has been effectively implementing a lot of the political applications of the American ideal, of the American worldview. But the way he does it, his personality, his style, it's totally the modern man, not the American man. It's the modern American man in the eyes of the left. And it's in many ways the American man idea of the very... um, It's not conservative. Conservatives view him that way. People who call themselves conservatives view him that way. But we're talking about a very um, raw, cynical, very uh, – there's a way to describe him. I mean, there's a mixture of the libertarians that really love Trump. But it's people who lack in the character, in the personality, and just the, the general nature of an American person, uh, of what Americans are and how we behave and how we want to interact with each other. He is the celebrity ideal of this millennial uh, Gen X, raised in the 80s and the 90s, the rock star, that whole perception, the Gen X man, maybe we could call him that. He is the Gen X man that the millennial conservative groups love. Because they're not traditional conservatives. They're modern conservatives. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. The modern conservative. Christians in name only. They are all about God, guns, and country. Um, They don't really live out the practical application of, of much of what they claim to believe. But they're passionate. They love our country. They love our troops. They love business. They love being productive and doing all this kind of stuff, but they just, they lack in the particular character traits of a true American. Now that's just of the popular group, right? So maybe, maybe another way to describe this group is the popular modern man, right? The popular modern conservative group. That's what Trump represents, but he does not in a pure form represent the American worldview as a whole. So the American worldview should not be tied to the image of Trump that we all have on our minds. He is not the example of what the American worldview is. He is the right guy in the right place at the right time who is at least manly enough in the traditional sense to keep his word, Uh, and to do the things that he says he's going to do. If he says he's going to do something, he at least goes forth and doesn't. Now, a lot of the things he says he wants to do, he probably shouldn't, right? So he's got counsel around around him that is able to put some controls on the guy. But he is a wild card. So again, like I said, he is not something people should look to as a model American worldview. However... The populist ideal, the social media craze, all right, that postmodern, conservative, popular movement, all right, that's the big group that is active, that yells a lot, that is participates in social media, that is engaged with the most, that goes to the rallies, does all that kind of stuff. There's that group. And then there's the Americans, all right? Politically speaking, we are popularly known as conservatives, but it's important to mark that we're traditional conservatives because the conservative group is kind of a diverse group um, with something of a a unique balance of things. But at the root, and what's shared among conservatives, is the American worldview, the application of the American worldview on the political scene and on the social scene. has some wiggle room in it. And so just as there is the biblical Judeo-Christian worldview, the core faith, uh, from the creeds, and then there's the denominations, same kind of principle here. There's the American worldview in the political side of things, not in all of it, just in the political side of things, that becomes conservative and balances itself from one end of the conservative wheelhouse within the framework of the American worldview. Um, on political application and social application, application of its views. And so that conservative group, the traditional conservative group is combined of of two sorts. Those who are strongly patriotic and know the American worldview. Um, These are people who who teach from home. They love the founders. They, uh, you know, the blaze uh, and Glenn Beck is a great example, of uh, as, as far as a spokesperson and his personality and his character and what he tries to be as a man, um, and what he portrays. He's a very strong example of the American worldview. He really is. Um, Ben Shapiro, very strong example of the American worldview of the traditional conservative. Uh, one could call us constitutional conservatives, um, on the understanding that being constitutional conservatives, we admire the Constitution, we want to uphold the Constitution, reinforce it, support it as the great political product of the American worldview. And we want to make sure it's sustained, that it's continued, uh, and that it's preserved and improved upon after 200 years of, of learning and applying its principles, right? So. When we look at Trump and we're trying to find the identity of the American worldview, please know Trump is not the image of the American worldview. However, those who are traditional conservatives, right? Who make up the American worldview uh, and the practical living social cultural sense, all right? Voted for Trump because he was the right man in the right place at the right time who has been acting out and doing a lot of the policy that we desire to see implemented. And he's been keeping his word. And the guy is very pro-American. We, we cherish that. And the fact we haven't had it for so long, it, we've just been dying for it. Um, and so he was the right man, the right place at the right time. He is not the spitting image of what the American worldview is or what the traditional conservative is. He's a guy we voted for primarily because we didn't want Clinton. The majority of the rooted American people, right, the traditional conservatives, the majority of us voted for Ted Cruz. Um, many of us have also voted for, uh, um, oh, jeez, I forgot his name, Rand Paul, right? A lot of us voted for Rand Paul as well. So... That's the thing to kind of look at. If you want to look at who did we vote for and, you know, why is it that Trump isn't the example, that would be my my example to you, right? If you want to know who we voted for last time, the traditional conservative uh, in abundance in the primaries, we voted for Ted Cruz or we voted for Rand Paul. Um, those would be the, the two options that we went with. Um, more libertarian. Uh, voted on that way. But that's the thing about the American worldview. We balance ourselves in the political spectrum, what is popularly known on the political spectrum as a traditional conservative or a uh, traditional libertarian. All right. So the classical libertarian, you might, we might call it. So understand that's what the American worldview represents. Now, for the next section of this thing that that we'll be discussing is is on the tariffs. Uh, The tariffs have been a a real thorn in my side uh, with Trump. Uh, This is kind of why I just did the previous segment about Trump. This is an example of Trump and his mindset and the people who support him. They don't grasp how the American worldview applies politically and so they see this ideal of the protective tariff um, as something that is very America first right because it's a tariff against you know foreign goods and and that whole mentality and that and most tradition and most traditional conservatives I will say understand that ideal um, and there's a balance in the American worldview of no tariffs at all free trade is what we ought to promote and then we should have tariffs but uh, they need to be low, uh, and they need to be flat, right? And so that's pretty much where the American view balances itself out. And what we have to understand with the American worldview is that for tariffs, they're not – anything related to an economy is not a tool to be manipulated, right? Right? Um, there are things that impact the economy that are tools uh, that one could view as a tool, but to view things in the economy as buttons and levers we can push in order to control certain things economically is not developing policy from the American worldview uh, when it comes to economics. Now. The American worldview holds that there has to be a separation between one country and another country. Uh, There's a reason why we're still 50 states and we're not just one big blob of a state. There's competition that's important, uh, that drives innovation, it drives improving on things, it drives uh, doing things for the purpose of improvement and growth and strength um, and It puts in our hearts the desire and the want to do better all the time. And so when we apply that at the level of a country, we have to know that there are things that we have to separate ourselves from. We have to do that culturally uh, is one thing, not by force, but by nature. As a cultural identity is formed, it has to be appreciated and cherished and loved. The American worldview has an American identity, an American culture that has been diluted by this pluralistic uh, diversity movement that has not done what the American worldview wants. Now, this is not discrimination. This isn't racism. This isn't ethnicism or xenophobia or whatever. This is saying that If people are gonna come to the United States geographically, and we're all gonna live and work together, there has to be shared values. And the American worldview is that shared value that makes people American. If they come from overseas, from a place that does not have an American worldview, and they bring over um, the Islamic worldview, and whenever they come to the United States, they do not adopt the American worldview while keeping their religious view, if they desire. That's one of the beauties of our, our worldview and our country. If they don't do that, then when they come here, there's going to be two clashing worldviews, two clashing cultures. And it's going to cause there to be separation geographically. And it causes divide and strife and grief. And that's the world we see today. Nobody wants to unite on anything. Because the worldviews have been split. There is no longer a common shared worldview among all the people of the United States. However, among the people who are Americans, they hold to the American worldview. Now, I mention this because there are ways with which countries separate themselves. Culturally is one geographically is another. There has to be an understanding of borders, of territory, of property and ownership by the nation of that geography and that that geography and the nation work together and they develop a government to manage all that together, right? And that's what forms a country. So there's geographic borders that must separate a country or states. And then the third thing is there has to be an, uh, a economic separation. Uh, now the economic separation is where the tariff comes into play. We cannot allow our markets to be merged together, and that's been a big problem here in the United States. Uh, the free trade across the states has been was beneficial at the time of the founding of the nation because we had 13, you know, fledgling colonies, as some people like to refer to them, that were trying to start out in wartime. I mean, we were trying to get moving while we were at war we had to have something that would bring us together and allow our economies to grow and to strengthen now our country is still thriving greatly with the flat tariff or the the no tariffs uh, in trade between the states and it's doing well and free trade does work but what has happened is that our economies as individual states have merged and in so doing we now have one massive market uh, that oversees the whole country. And so, instead of it just being one state or another state that gets impacted by some market event, there's the entire economy. The whole country gets you know, lambasted by this stuff because we've tried to merge all of these independent markets between the states. Now, for myself personally, I have no problem whatsoever with the idea of there being a minor tariff in trade between states. Makes perfect sense. However, the movement that is very strong now is the free trade movement, and yes, that is an American ideal. How that balances out uh, will vary. Now, as a country, I do not believe the free trade ideal should happen. There needs to be a tariff because there needs to be that economic boundary between countries. And the tariff is what provides that. Now a tariff, as with all taxes, cannot exceed 10%. It cannot exceed the tithe. That's the American worldview. Remember, the American worldview is just calling the biblical Judeo-Christian worldview a new name that is shorter, right? That's all the American worldview is. And so whenever we apply this on a level, of a a modern government and or a modern country i should say there has to be a tariff that is less than the tithe all right that that doesn't protect us okay the understanding is the the concept of a protective tariff is that the tariff is used to target certain industries being imported from other nations for the protection of American industry and American ideals or American things, right? Or just of a country's ideals, I shouldn't say American. And so that's where Trump has gone wrong with these protective tariffs. He has done targeted tariffs that are like 20 something percent on imported goods from this place or that place. At the end of the day, it's just hurting us because the that tariff is being passed through to the American individual. And because that's what's happening, you know, the American people are the ones that are feeling the impact of these tariffs more than China or or any other nation, right? However, if we had a flat tariff, a flat tariff, and it was a controlled price, and we uh, didn't have that set where the president can do it, ebb and flow, but it was done by an act of Congress, then it's important to understand that the tariff has to be flat, so everybody pays the same tariff, and it has to be under 10%. And it can't be manipulated over time. When a tariff is set into place, it has to exist for a steady period of time. And that period of time has to jive with the time it takes for a business to grow and to thrive and to become strong. Now, your, your typical business needs stability for anywhere between about four and 10 years. Yes, I know, that's a pretty big gap. But as you look at and you see research, and there's probably way better research out there um, that can give a little bit more specifics. I'm kind of talking in, in just a, a generality understanding of things that we can get in more detail in this. But if a tariff, just like with sales tax, there, there should not be an income tax period. There would be the flat sales tax and there would be the tariff. And so whenever there's a sales tax in the country, the people pay that sales tax. Whenever a product is purchased from overseas, that tariff is a price that that vendor, in order to bring their product into the United States, has to pay because they're not in our country paying our sales tax. The people are paying the sales tax. Now, they may have that tariff pass through to the customer at the end of the day. However, that company, in bringing their goods into this country have contributed to the apparatus that has allowed it to have a market within which to operate so that's a key point of the tariff but the second point is that a tariff is a boundary it separates our economy from the economies of other nations and it encourages the innovation and development within the country so that we do not become dependent upon another country for the goods and services we get When you have free trade, business will trend towards wherever it is cheapest and most cost effective to do their business, right? That means that if it is more expensive to do work here in the States, but it's less expensive to do work elsewhere, they will move their entire business of work elsewhere. And if we have free trade with another country, then should something happen in that country, we have now given that country control of the, things that we need in the States that that company produces, we've not lost it. So the tariff provides us that boundary there, where it encourages businesses to operate more efficiently and effectively here in the States. And of course, this we need to understand, and and this is always important. As I talk about these things, I got to always remember to bring this up. When we talk about the ideals of American worldview, we're talking about things not in a vacuum, but in consideration of the fullness of the American worldview actually being applied. So what I'm describing to you applies when the fullness of the American worldview applies. So to have a flat tariff, okay, is the best option. Get rid of protective tariffs, make it toward that, cannot happen. It is unconstitutional to have a protective tariff, its impact on the people is way negative. Um, A flat tariff That's less than 10% is being enforced in an environment in an America where there is no income tax. There is no death tax. There is no other tax except for a national sales tax. Again, that is less than 10%. And that's what allows the federal government to operate in the way it needs to with nothing more than the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch, and a law enforcement wing and the military. All right. And that's about it, man. You know, Department of the Treasury operating under the executive. Um, there's nothing else. So anybody that says, well, that will only bring in $300 billion as opposed to the $1.5 trillion we get with it. The the point is not bringing in a bunch of money. The point is leaving all the money with the people to do it as they please. The point is to generate enough uh, revenue as a government to enforce federal law. All right, enforce And here's the other thing. Within this, guys, federal law is about the state governments and city municipalities uh, governments. Now, primarily, the federal government only goes to the state government. The state governments then go to the uh, local municipality governments, and that's important. So in this concept I'm describing about what a tariff should be from the American worldview, it's within that context. Federal law only restricts and restrains state governments. It does not restrain the people. Okay, so the need of enforcement is minimized because it's only handling 50 governments. It is not handling 330 million people, (laughs) all right? And so the tariff is a part of the means of operating that and ensuring the safety and security of all the states under the union. And then you have this national sales tax, which allows us to do the same thing with the military. And so that's how the taxation system balances out under the American worldview. So what Trump needs to do, and and what a, a person with an American worldview would be calling for him to do right now, uh, or what a American president would do, is one, the American president would do everything possible to call a special session, to have an amendment to the Constitution that prevents the president from ever being have having any control over tariffs. Uh, and will require that a tariff policy be enacted and put in place um, that cannot be changed, but for every period of four to ten years. And of course, we can debate on that and determine the best time. Personally, I think it's every seventh year uh, should be the year in which a tariff is uh, uh, debated, and by the end of that seventh year, a new tariff is set for the next seven years. Um, And it should not exceed, in my opinion, 8%. So, And should not be below 4%. Now, um, what Trump needs to do now is to end the protective tariffs. Just stop, man. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. There is no need for it. All the tariffs, since he has the power right now, should be flattened to 8%. All right? Just across the board, flatten tariffs to 8% on everything coming into the country. Everybody gets a tariff. All right? And the way that tariff is determined is based upon the uh, value of the goods at the market rates, all right? And how that looks, how that's implemented and everything is between uh, border enforcement and control and the treasury department, right? How, how that tonnage that is determined. And of course, that's, that's a discussion for another day. But he should end all the tariffs. Uh, all these protective tariffs have gotta stop. So there's the American worldview on tariffs. Uh, And like I said, there's debate between free trade uh, and a flat tariff. And we can go one back and forth. Uh, There's circumstances where one idea is better than the other, but that's the spectrum of debate from an American worldview, is we either have free trade or we have a flat tariff. So from an American worldview, that's, that's the way tariffs would be handled. That's the idea of how we have our economy uh, and and trade relationships with foreign countries. All right, so that's pretty much all that we have to cover for today. Uh, Appreciate you listening and, and I hope you enjoyed uh, some of the points that were made and the ideas that were introduced here. Uh, so last night I did a little Bible study with the kids on John 14. Right? Uh, in John chapter 14 there's several things that Jesus is talking with them about in the upper room you know prior to his crucifixion and it's probably one of the most clear points in the, in the New Testament where Christ is identifying himself with the Father. Uh, he says several times over um, that, you know, he is in the Father, the Father is in him, and that, you know, if we are in him, then we are with the Father, and whenever we see him, we see the Father. And it's really important to see that because we also see him mention and speak of the Holy Spirit sending the counselor. Um, coming forth from the Father and that that Jesus will go to the Father and, and request that he come in and send out um, and send out the Holy Spirit to go into the world and to teach us about what we need to know about and so that that is probably one of the most important uh chapters in the Gospel of John because it it has so much um, Description, so much explanation from Jesus of how he viewed himself, of how he taught the apostles, of who and what he he is, uh, and a, an explanation of what it is to be in Christ. Right? That's it, it, a term for those of you who attend church and and who are active members uh that that you know you maybe listen to sermons on podcasts or things of that nature you hear that a lot right being in christ in christ in me um and a big uh component of chapter 14 that that really stood out to me uh that i wanted to share with my kids is the fact that he says that those who love me are in him are in the father understand the father know the father and how you identify that you love Jesus, how it's, how it's shown that you love Jesus, is that you follow his commands. And it's important to know that, because in the Old Testament, as God describes those who love him, those who follow him are those who obey his words, who obey his commandments and, and love the Lord their God. That is where Jesus is once again, he's, he's bringing together what we would we we'll come to later know uh, as the Trinity, the, the theory of the Trinity. To explain this, we develop the theory of the Trinity and in, in what God is comprised of, his nature. Um, and we see it really brought through in this chapter in that. But the the understanding, uh, in this time, we see the church being corrupted in, in many ways. Um, the manipulation of governments to force uh, pastors and preachers to preach on certain subjects, uh, the push to establish law that would uh, govern what could and could not be spoken from the pulpit. Um, We see uh, this starting to spread all over the place, uh, and it's being pushed primarily by this LGBTQ movement uh, that's been so popular. Over the last several years, um, and and it's this ideal that is corrupting the church. the There are uh, denominations that are caving in to the lusts of the world uh, and allowing these things to take them over. And it's really causing um, a lot of disruption in the typical life of the Christian church. And so when we read through this, and we see these things it, it really helps us to comprehend the false teaching there if, if you study the book of john you will see so much why these uh some of them call themselves new age uh, a lot of them try to practice uh, ideals of gnosticism and uh, the uh beliefs that that are merged with eastern religious uh practices uh not so much their beliefs but their practices um these things that are happening to the church these are not positive things uh these are things that are destroying the salvation of people because it's pulling them away from the truth of the bible and in john 14 these commands that god uh, that god gives to us what, what jesus says if you love me you will follow my commands and What are his commands? Well, as you read through the New Testament, it's very much in line with the Old Testament, where God himself said, if you love me, you will follow my commands. Uh, And that's the whole point. And we see uh, also in in chapter 14, Jesus saying, whatever you ask of me, you shall be provided uh, in light of if you love Jesus, follow his commands, right? And so we see these things uh, being uh, shown And what we come to identify in all of this is the fact that Jesus' commands are in line with God's command in the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, to to show, to demonstrate, to be the effective impact of what the law is for. And whenever we know the law, we become aware of our sin, right? We become knowledgeable and understanding of these things. Whenever we come to know Jesus... Jesus is the embodiment of that law. It goes on to say in chapter uh, 15, where you know he, he identifies here, uh, and there's a lot of criticism about this particular part, but this is where Jesus says, that, hey, b- before I came into the world, these people were not sinners, but now that I came into the world, they are sinners, right? Not because not knowing Jesus, you're not a sinner, and then you know Jesus, now you're a sinner. It's because who and what he is allows us to know when we are or are not guilty, right? To know that we are sinful. He does that just as the law. That was the purpose of what the law was for. And so whenever he tells us that those who love me follow my commands, and then he says those who love him are in the Father, all of this is undeniable. It's undeniable that we must follow the commands of Christ as they are written. Uh, in the New Testament, and how he um, um, edifies and builds upon the Old Testament, and knowing that these moral truths that he sets in place are absolute. They are objective, real uh, real things that we all have a sense of, uh, and that we are all guilty of. And so whenever we see this stuff going on in the world, these these attacks that are being made against the church, Uh, These successful manipulations of the church we're seeing where congregations are permitting, um, you know, gay unions because there's no such thing as a gay marriage or a gay wedding. There's a gay union. Those terms, you know, how those terms are used, we have to keep them true. Um, And so for those of us who hold to an American worldview, we don't hate people of the LGBTQ community. Instead, we love them. We love them with with a passion, and it breaks our hearts to see them manipulated by popular opinion and popular desire to be compelled to believe that they are something that they are not. And in doing so, turn away from God purely for the sake of a physical short-term satisfaction and a want and a desire to, to be seen as what they think will bring them happiness. Uh, it's a horrible thing, and it breaks our hearts to no end. So for those of us who hold to the worldview, our, our hearts break, and we shed tears for these people. And we strive to be as loving and as welcoming and as embracing as we can, because as we are now seeing, this is a short-term thing. And, and they are realizing it now. Those who were caught up in the groundswell, of this LGBT movement made popular over social media and this new world of communication we have, they're now coming out of it. They're seeing that they were led astray. Uh, they're, they're, being, they're having their eyes open to the reality of this and they're trying to turn away from it. And we have to be welcoming. We have to be loving. We have to embrace these people. Um, and we have to embrace everyone that comes to the doors of a church. And we have to have an outreach as a church of going out and, and embracing others and spreading the gospel message, and bringing people to know this: if you love God, He is the way, the truth, and the light. Right? And, and and you know that's one of the more popular uh, verses we hear uh, recited a lot, especially when it comes to apologetic circles. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus. And you get to God through Him by by following in His way, knowing the truth and And following after him, all right, seeking his light in your life. And so, for ending today's episode, um, you know, just know that Trump is not the model of these things. Uh, he's an American, a name only, you could say. Um, don't think that he is the model spitting image of what we are supposed to be. Don't let other people try to say that he is the model man. Um, know that you know, with all these things that are going on in the world that there are the others out there who, who share in your American worldview stay strong in it keep strong in the faith uh, love the Lord your God and, and you will be blessed in all that you do so thank you so much for joining us today uh, God be with you always and I look forward to, uh, to sharing the American worldview with you again so please be sure to like and, and share uh, wherever it is you hear this podcast Uh, Go check out the blog at uh, thewayofwill.com, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to like, share, comment, the whole nine yards. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye.